0: I will say the biggest misconception about labor and delivery is that we just kind of come in, we do the same thing every day and we just kind of like hold babies and stuff and just chill. What I love about labor and delivery is that when you walk in, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, And of course, it's going to vary from facility to facility. So I typically work at level one, high acuity, high volume hospital. So I took care of some really, really, really sick moms. That's like another misconception about labor and delivery. I'm taking care of patients with cancer, gunshot wounds, stab wounds, kidney failure, liver failure. Pregnant people aren't excluded from getting sick, getting in car wrecks, having heart conditions, having it's, it's all the same sick people, and then when they get pregnant, they're over in labor and delivery. Hey
1: guys, welcome back to The Selfie Show, where we are bringing you the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a NICU nurse, blogger, and podcaster, and sitting across from me is my very salty co-host oh am i salty today
2: you're, you're, you're popping up sometimes off. i'm saucy sometimes i'm salty but <laughs> i'm always sam and i am a flight nurse college professor podcaster powerlifter and co-host of the selfie show and today we are talking <laughs> off the clock labor and delivery Sweet. you asked for it we brought it to you we're gonna as tori would say deep dive into the world of vaginas
1: going micro into the world of vaginas you guys today we're bringing on miss sarah gaines very very highly requested guest obsessed with her
2: by the way oh my god you guys these this episode i want to stalk her like I'm going to travel with her because I just want to hang out with her all the time. Oh, my gosh. She is one of the most fun people to talk to.
1: You guys are going to love this episode. Okay.
2: Okay, really quick. Mm -hmm. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, I think that it's safe to say, tell our audience what we've been working on behind the scenes. We have something so exciting for you guys. So this has actually been in the works
1: for a while. Um, Sam and I have... Made it very intentional, and we've sort of been dropping hints along the way that we want to do a trip with you guys. Selfie squad. The selfie squad. Like, this has been a goal of ours. We re- we need something to look forward Post-COVID to. Post-COVID feels. Yes. So, uh, we have decided and officially signed on with Trova Trips, and we are going to be hosting a trip next year. Possibly two.
2: Yeah. And we are
1: so stoked. We are so excited about this. So, um, so as of right now, we actually have um a form for you guys. We want to hear from you guys. We want to hear where do you want to go? What's your budget? You know, all that fun stuff. We want to get all the deets of like all the fun things that you guys want to include in a trip. Like, what are some things that you guys want to have? We can do. What are some... you interested what... in? What... Yes, hobbies, exactly. Things you like to do on a trip. Yeah. And we'll include them. I know. So we're building this trip out. Our hope is we're gearing for possibly April of 2022. That's our goal. And we're actually, it's not a goal. We're going to be doing a trip in, in April. I'm going. Yeah, we're going. going. Are you coming with? Yes. So um, we're really excited about this. We want you guys to click the link in the bio. Sam and I are also going to share them on our own Instagrams. We want to hear
2: from you guys on this form cough cough select bali because that's where <laughs> yeah, sam so wants to go location
1: wise we are
2: thinking we yeah a lot of things but i new selfishly zealand. want to go to bali new zealand new zealand would be rad uh, greece maybe
1: greece turkey i would
2: love to do turkey i would love to do turkey anyway, morocco yeah i don't know let's do a ton of trips together guys but we want to hear from you where you want to go on your first yeah, first selfie trip squad guess. trip type i think of bali you want to would do be on really it fun yeah, Bond would
1: be. That's kind of.
2: I, I, that's in my head. Like tropical would be really. Fun. Yes, I. I need a drink and I need a beach. <laughs> COVID has been a bitch yeah to all of us we all deserve this trip so please fill out the survey even if you're mildly interested we want to hear from you and we want to see you yeah we We want to see your beautiful faces i think it would be so
1: much fun to have everybody together just have a fun trip you know lord knows we all need it so we we're really pumped about this so yeah make sure you guys fill that out we're really excited yes single girl married girl life tip of the week okay so my biggest thing is this week is to be your partner's biggest fan. Yes. I think that's so important. I Obviously, it's important to have your own goals and, you know, to really kind of, make sure you have your own individuality, obviously, but whether it's your partner's new career, a lifelong journey, um, I think it's just something that to be said about being your partner's biggest fan, to be there in their hardest moments, to really lift them up. I know there's times where Jacob has been my biggest fan and really pushed me through my hardest times. And, you know, um, Jacob's actually on a new little journey himself. And so it's been really fun to like support him and to really try and help him him through whatever it is a struggle he's going through a new a new little adventure um, trying to learn something new like I'm trying to help him and doing my own research and you know so it's been really fun and I just think it's really important to really you know
2: remember that and to really hold that as something important when you're being a partner. Is it fun now that the tables have kind of turned because he has been mm. a huge support to you as you started your blog, as you started the podcast. I've watched him cheer you on every step of the way and celebrate all the milestones with this. So yeah. now is it kind of fun to switch roles? Yeah,
1: it is actually. I really enjoy it. Like I think that's been a fun flip and um, you know, it's just there's times where I, I can tell he needs a little extra support in the things that he's doing and I love it.
2: I think it's it's been really fun for both of us. Just Change of pace too. I think nice. that's great advice for all relationships, not even just romantic ones. Yeah, even as friendships. When you started this podcast, I was oh, like, get it, girl, one hundred percent. You were one, one of my fan. biggest supporters for sure. It was super fun to have that. And I think I don't think you should even be in a relationship with someone if they're not as excited about your successes as you are. Yeah, like if you don't come and go, hey Jacob, guess what? We hit hundred k, and he's just like, fucking bet. <laughs> 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 Say less. <laughs> Say less. That is literally that's his he new kept thing. Saying it he's such a night. millennial. <laughs> our um waiter last night said we went out to dinner yes, and we got some drinks and he was like oh the mozzarella sticks are really good they're like cheese curds almost and jacob was like say, say less, less. <laughs> and I died I was like, the waiter started laughing millennials it was so uh, cute but yeah. if they're not hyping you up yeah. it's so fun throw the whole man out throw yeah. the whole friend <laughs> out, out the, hold the, throw the whole out person the kitchen away sink. bye-bye because they should really be if they're so just indifferent and like oh that's cool that's to me like super red flag
1: yeah yeah it's it is it's something that i think is really important and um yeah so Smith uh, samantha what is your single
2: girl life tip of the week i'm gonna piggyback off of that okay so obviously I'm single, so the or we wouldn't have this segment, <laughs> and I, so I don't have someone to, you know, when I hit 100K, I was like texting Tori yeah. about it and being excited, and I shared with like friends and stuff, but at the end of the day, like I don't have that one person to be my cheerleader mm-hmm. or whatever. I have a really strong group of friends, even Tori's been to my powerlifting competition since yeah. 2018, so yeah. I've had people like hyping me up um, around me, but Trust when I say that I am my own biggest fan. Yeah, I love that. And some people honestly might say that I'm cocky or (laughs) full of myself and I've gotten comments like that and I'm like... I'd say good for you. Cool. Yeah. I'm sorry that you feel that way, but if I'm not my biggest fan, why would I expect someone else to be? Why would I expect someone else to be proud of my achievements if I'm not proud of my own achievements? Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with being proud of yourself, celebrating yourself. And being your own biggest fan as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that me even embracing that about myself is good for me to eventually get into a relationship. Because I'm happy and whole with myself and I have no problem hyping myself up. Like, dude, last night I took like this fire ass... Like mirror selfie, and I was just like, "Okay, bitch, like you look good. Let's go get some Say drinks with body. Like I have a giant pimple that I covered up. Oh, uh, whatever, it was huge. We need to. Name but I it. was like in the mirror, and I was like, "Okay, sis, <laughs> pop off." And I'm like, "I, I don't care if you think I'm like full of myself. I actually had someone even DM me saying that I want attention." When i post that and mm. i was like oh, whatever Thirst i step. look good so <laughs> sure if that's what you want to call it I'm i think just it's really it hyping myself up
1: important to like celebrate your wins yeah you know we don't do that enough like i don't even do that enough to se- sit there and be like wow that was like really cool i just did that yeah, like, toot yeah
2: your own horn yeah love that for us love that for us so we have um this question gets asked all the time. It's so funny. For yeah, I week. love this question. I've had week. multiple people commented on our picture. And then I've had so many people ask me, what is in your podcast cover syringe? <laughs> so Everyone funny. wants to know what's in that syringe. <laughs> it's almond milk.
1: Yep. It's
2: almond milk. When
1: originally we were going to do paint, we were trying to do white paint. But yeah. then I forgot to even do white
2: paint. Which honestly probably would have been messy. Almond milk, I had it in my fridge. It was clutch. Yeah. We were like, oh, what should we put in the syringe? And I was like. I have almond milk. That'll work. <laughs> it looks like propofol. It does. So that's why it's kind of perfect. Yeah. it's like nighty nights.
1: Yeah. Originally, we were going to try I was actually thinking originally pink paint just to play off the pink. But actually, I think the white is, is The white clean. is cool.
2: And it's like, yeah, the fact that, um, yeah, it could be propofol. Mm-hmm. I could put you to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wink, wink. I'll put you to sleep, but just
1: say, less. Just say less. So, okay. Um,
2: and then another question that we got was advice for a 22 year old who feels stuck or behind, waiting to get into a nursing program. Oh boy, we can both pop up, girl. You're 22. Yeah, you are not. your You're a baby. You got all the time in the world. When did you get into nursing school? 23. Yeah. Um, I honestly didn't even switch my major to nursing. I was almost done with a psychology degree. And I was like, I don't want to get a psychology degree. What am I going to do with this? I, mm-hmm. no. So I switched my major to nursing when I was 21. And then it was the grind of everywhere is impacted. I actually applied to like St. Mary's in LA. It's like a private That's a big BSN and a program. People, yeah. And I had great grades and they called me. The admissions office called me on the phone and said, we'd love to offer you admission to our school, but the nursing program's impacted. And I had like out-of-state credits from Utah when I went to college in Utah for a little bit. And they were like, we're just impacted and you're kind of an out-of-state transfer, because I really was transferring from out-of-state at that point. They're like, we'll offer you admission to the school if you change your major to anything else but nursing. And I'm like, no, that's not the point. I can just do these prereqs. And then I was on a wait list for an associate degree program for two years. Mm -hmm. It's just you're not behind. And as someone who teaches nursing school, I have students that are older than me. In my class that are second career change nurses. Yeah. You're never behind. You are always right where you should be in life and everything happens for a reason. Yeah, I agree. It's
1: funny because that's actually one of the most common questions. Um, I touched on this on the blog. I had someone ask, I'm 35 and am I too, is it too late to become a nurse? And my answer to that is absolutely no. If you think about it, if you even started nursing at 40, you still have 25 years to work as a nurse, which is crazy. And you're coming into the profession with so much life experience, which mm-hmm. I think is super invaluable, whether yes. it's talking to patients, understanding dynamics, like you've been through way more. And I think it's actually sometimes to your advantage. Mm-hmm. And you understand how to handle certain situations. You're probably more quick on your feet. You're more willing to learn. I don't know. I just think
2: you're driven because you're, you're obviously coming back at a time in your life where you're doing Mm -hmm. it because you want to do it. It didn't just kind of fall into your lap. It's a calculated decision you're making. I don't think there's any time
1: that is, I think, as you said, like your life puts you in certain ways. Many of you know this. I've talked about it so many times. I was on, it took me three and a half times to get into nursing school. I was rejected more than any. I had to apply to like eight different jobs. Like my journey by no means was easy. I graduated nursing school I think it was 24, maybe turning 20, 25. I was 25. Um, but you know, I no, I think that that is the biggest misconception mm-hmm. coming into the medical field. I know even know people who went back for medical school, for PA school who are much older like you know, you are where you're supposed to be.
2: It is frustrating when you're waiting. You're like this is what I want to do. I can't get in. I'm watching other people around me get in. Mm-hmm. It can be very frustrating. Just be patient. Yeah. It's going to happen for yeah. you. And hustle. And it's going to happen. And mm-hmm. you're not behind. Like, get normalize the fact that I'm 35, I'm unmarried, and I have no children. Yeah. That's Absolutely. Fine. I, I did mean... not. when I, If you asked me when I was 22, am I going to be 35, unmarried, with no children? No. If you asked me when I was 30 and engaged, <laughs> if I would be 35, unmarried, with no children, I would have said, of course not. We love that moment for you. It was great. <laughs> but there is no timeline that you should be following in life yes. that is expected. The and picture it doesn't matter what other thing. people are doing. On
1: top of that, I think it's so boring to be cookie cutter and picture perfect and have this perfect journey. Like I think it's so much more fun in life when you have these zigzags and these journeys and things. It shapes that shapes you. It does. It really shapes you. And I actually think the hardships of you know what you're going through is really what makes you a good you know, whatever is a healthcare provider in general, or, you know, I think it's just part of life. And, you know, I think embrace that, embrace Mm -hmm. the grit, because I, Lord knows, I had so many times I was crying so much blood, sweat, tears to become a nurse. But, you know, a lot of people go through those journeys to become whatever it is they want to become. And it um, will happen. It'll happen. Be
2: patient and just use this time to honestly get a job at a hospital as a unit secretary. Mm Mm-hmm. Get a job as a CAA, a scribe, CNA, CNA, a scribe, a, volunteer, a tech, a, tech get, a hearing screener. Get your foot in the door. I mm-hmm. know people that worked as unit secretaries before they even got into nursing school and then were able to do that job the entire time they were in nursing school. And now when they're graduating, they know the lingo. They know all the people at the hospital. And they networked. basically have an interview and a job waiting for them because they networked. Mm-hmm. So actually, you're you're in a good position right now to set yourself up for a success. While you're waiting into nursing school, go out and get a job in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And maybe you get experience there and you get a job in a better hospital that eventually you want to work at as a new grad. Like, use this time now to make the calculated moves to set yourself up for the best position even when you do graduate. A lot of people end up graduating nursing school and now they're scrambling for connections and all that. Like, you can start on all that stuff now before you're even in a program. Yeah, So 100%. take advantage of the time of being stuck and waiting to use that – put yourself in a better position
1: yeah 100
2: get it girl mm, Yeah. speaking of go-getters oh, oh this is man. you guys
1: oh, today you are gonna love today's
2: guest so we have a Sarah Gaines she's an L&D nurse master's prepared travel nurse and founder of the six-figure travel nurse course which is amazing Yeah. Um, we've had so much to talk about with her Yeah. so we actually broke this episode into two parts we did because we didn't we didn't want to rush through anything because L and D has been a very highly requested topic on this podcast. So today's episode is going to be all about labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: yeah, it's gonna be a really good one, you guys, today. And I think so many people can take away all these tips that Sarah was dropping. She was dropping
2: some fire today. Like, if I ever have a baby, I'm going to fly her out to be yeah. my personal. Yeah, labor she and labor gets nurse. into L
1: and D nursing tips and tricks for the labor journey. We get into a lot of things that I I really do think anyone can take away from today. We learned a lot. I mean, we're NICU nurses, and you're now a flight nurse, but we were like, we had no idea. She created the six-figure travel nurse course to educate and empower nurses and help them get ready to take control of their career. So just so you guys know, we are offering the second part of this episode as a bonus episode this week. March Madness. March Madness. Okay, can we explain that?
2: Yeah. So we love you guys. Yes. And we have so many good guests right now lined up basically through June. And we have so much to bring you and we're just excited so we don't want to make you wait a whole another week to get part two of Sarah so we're we're doing March Madness we're doing a bonus episode every week for the rest of the month so the next three weeks we're gonna be dropping two episodes a week and fun Friday bonus episodes
1: yeah you guys are gonna love it so we're really excited about this month we love you guys and without further ado let's dive into the show Okay, so, Miss Sarah, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you on. Thank you for taking the time. And thank you guys for having me. So, for many of our audience probably already know you, but for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, your beginnings, your background. So, I started
0: off in, let's see, I graduated with my BSN in 2012, and I started off in OB-GYN. So, I have been an L&D nurse forever. And I love it. It's been almost 10 years. A lot of babies. <laughs> yes, a lot of babies. Oh my gosh. And a lot of babies everywhere in parking lots and McDonald's and Kroger. <laughs> oh <my laughs> God. What's
1: been your best delivery situation or your best My best, story?
0: I would probably say the best situation ever was um, I delivered one a patient in one state and it was an amazing experience and then um I as a travel nurse I was in the next state and uh, it was a couple years later and she was at that same hospital and I delivered her baby again. It was a crazy like <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> so cool. it was such a crazy I coincidence and we were just so happy to see each other. Like we immediately remembered each other and I was like oh my God it's so crazy. What are you doing here? So that was really
2: cool good nurse like makes or breaks that situation for you and like giving birth is such a huge deal so having a nurse that you like loved and connected with yeah and then to have them again yes. that's a very so cool. funny situation that happened um <laughs> it's
0: happened a couple times people will dm me on instagram and they'll be like what i not know my nurse
2: was famous <laughs>
0: <laughs> we get that a couple times too <laughs>
2: What made you want to go into nursing? I honestly
0: don't have like a, I feel like every nurse has that moment, that special story, but I really don't. I've always, just, <laughs> I've always just wanted, like my family said, when they asked me when I was younger, ever since I was like three, four years old, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my answer was always, I want, well, of course at first it was like, oh, I want to be a doctor. But then when I realized the difference between being a nurse and being a doctor, I was like, I want to be a nurse. And that has just been my answer for forever. Um, When it comes to labor and delivery, I did not think that (laughs) when going into nursing school, I thought labor and delivery was super gross and I was never going to do that.
2: (laughs) But I never changed my mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's like no in between. I feel like you either love it or you hate it. There's no in between. And going into nursing school, you know, I'm, very, I'm, I'm a very type A personality, very detail oriented. So everyone was like, yeah, girl, you're going to be in ICU. That's what you're going to do. And then I did my ICU clinical and I was like, this is terrible. Um, <laughs> I felt like it was really sad. Everyone was dying. And I didn't like that. I couldn't like talk and communicate with my patient. And I didn't realize how big of a deal that was to me until, you know, I couldn't talk to my patient. So I actually tried to drop out of nursing school. I talked to my counselor, put filled out all my paperwork and they had this policy that basically said um, you have to wait 72 hours before it's official. And of course, within those 72 hours, my parents were like, Sarah, like your bachelor's degree is almost done. You only have one more semester. I don't care if you don't want to be a nurse Like just finish your last semester and get your
2: degree. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> like, oh. do hit that wall and that point where you're just like, is this even what I really want to do? Yeah. And we're exactly. not getting a lot of questions from people about that lately yes. where they're like second guessing just based on their experience. And I'm like, it's so different being in school than it is being an actual nurse. Oh, absolutely.
0: It's, it's so different. And for me, it was shocking. I had, I don't I don't even know what I expected nursing to be when I went to nursing school, but my clinicals were just like, not what I expected. And, insane. you know, I did med surge and ICU and I was just, I kept being disappointed. So by that last semester, I was just done with it. But the very last clinical rotation I had was labor and delivery. And of course I was dreading it. <laughs> and then <laughs> I got there and I just, I loved it so much. Like just being able to be by a woman's side at like her most vulnerable point, vulnerable point in many ways, but also like her strongest point in many ways. And just yeah. seeing her go through labor and delivering that baby and the baby taking their first breath, like I was bawling. It was just like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen until this day, 10 years later, I still get teary-eyed when my patient delivers. I love labor and delivery so much. So I knew right then and there, that very first clinical day, I was like, Labor and delivery, that's what I want to do. I don't want to do anything else.
1: So I want to go like deep into this because selfishly, I want to know for myself, I had a very (laughs) brief experience with L&D. What does your hands-on look like day to day? Like, what do you do?
0: Oh, I like this question. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say the biggest misconception about labor and delivery is that we just kind of come in, we do the same thing every day and we just kind of like, Whole babies and stuff, and just chill. (laughs) (laughs) Same, but (laughs) thank you. I'm like, it's such a huge misconception. Um, The biggest thing, what I love about labor and delivery is that when you walk in, you don't know what you're gonna get. Um, And of course, it's gonna vary from facility to facility. So I typically work at level one, high acuity, high volume hospitals. So when I walk into labor and delivery, you could be assigned to the operating room and do C-sections all day. You could be the pre-op nurse and do pre-op all day. You could be the PACU nurse and do PACU all day. You could be the labor nurse in labor and delivery and have a nurse in labor. You could be in antepartum and have a nurse in hire's antepartum. You could be in um, mother-baby and take care of moms and babies. You could be the baby catcher where you're just running in different rooms and catching babies. So. You never know what you're going to get when you're walking in. And I absolutely love it. Um, but a typical day on a, on a typical labor and delivery unit, you walk in, you may have like an induction, which is the patient that is cool, calm, collected, coming to have their baby. And so you start them from scratch. You go over the plan of care with them and, you know, start their labor. Or you may have, <laughs> and I always hate it when these patients come in before I have my coffee. But sometimes you <laughs> can't. I relate to that. I'm like, please just let me have my coffee. Don't let me get the screamer. And you like walk in and the patient's like, ah! and the baby, the
2: head's crowning and there's just craziness
0: everywhere. And you're like, okay, I'm awake now.
2: <laughs> How many times have you walked in and they're like, you need to run down to the ER right now because there's a hand sticking out of this lady that just walked in <laughs> off the street. Uh, Honestly, I would say not that often simply because the ER is like pretty
0: good at like sending those papers You know, sure if you even look slightly pregnant, <laughs> if you say I'm pro by the time you say that, they're like <laughs> center, center labor. Um, there's there. been a couple of times, like um, it was actually in the newspaper they called it was when I was in Houston, they called it the the valet baby. But there's a lady trying to park in valet or something and she ended up having her baby in valet. So we had to raise it overhead. They were just like, Code Pink, Valet. Co-. We're like, What? <laughs> like, like, no, thank you. <laughs>
1: Did you hear the one where the dad delivered the mom like in the hallway?
0: Oh. It was it was goodness. in a hospital
1: and he it was like went viral and he like literally delivered her in the hallway of like a hospital, like because no one like I think it was a precipitous birth.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What's, yeah.
1: For people who don't know, what's a precipitous birth?
0: It is when that baby just slides on out, honey. It just, it's so quick, within seconds. And the crazy part is, is I mean, sometimes a doctor can check you when you're eight centimeters, and then with a the precipitous birth, they walk out the door, and by the time the door closes, the baby just flies <laughs> out.
2: <laughs> and how many times have you delivered without the doctor being able to get there in time? Oh, a lot. I, <laughs> I feel like when you're- yeah, I don't think people delivery, realize that. Yeah. Yes. Like when you're an L&D nurse, it's not
0: if it'll happen, it's when. Like it, it, it's going to happen. And I've been a labor and delivery nurse for 10 years. So yes, it it absolutely happens. And it's so funny because I feel like the patients don't realize um, how much the labor and delivery nurse does and how much autonomy mm-hmm. they have. So that's definitely one thing I really enjoy about labor and delivery. I feel like we, um, compared to all the other specialties, we have a lot of autonomy. And um, the patients will be like, did you follow the doctor yet? Did you? I'm like, girl, the doctor ain't coming to the head. is crowning. Yeah. Okay, like, <laughs> we're doing all lot of awesome. shit. Like, we're doing everything. And they're always, like, shocked by that. Um, but, yeah, I definitely enjoy that I part of it I think misconception
2: well. in media, because there's so much movies and things where there's a big emphasis on, like, what OB is going to deliver their baby. And I'm like, girl, your OB might be on vacation, your baby might come a little early, they might not even make it in time. And the L&D nurse might be the one there. So it's just funny that people put so much into that, which I mean, you should have a good OB you trust. But the funny thing about having a birth plan is like, it doesn't always mm. go as planned. I
1: we I like to call it birth preferences. Yes. Right? Yes. You can have preferences of how you want to do it. But I mean, as you know, we're both NICU nurses. And most of the time, well, all the time, moms don't plan to have a NICU nurse. And most of the time, it's not your OB delivering you. It's not the situation you wanted to be in. Like, there's so many different ways a baby wants to come.
0: Yep. Yes. I love that you said that. Yeah. Um... As a travel nurse, I had heard like birth plan, birth plan. And I worked at one facility that called it birth preference. And I was like, that is the perfect thing to call it because birth and plan, that's an oxymoron in itself. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. Your body so. is going to do what it wants terminology to do. <laughs> is big because yeah. even at our hospital, we don't say DNR. We say AFND, which is allow for natural death. And I think that should even be used in adults. Like don't say yeah. we're not going to de- do not resuscitate 92 year old grandma. It's no, <laughs> yeah. we're going to allow her to have a natural death. Yeah, And I just I think that verbiage. That. So I, same thing with birth preference. I like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. How often do you let dad deliver? Can you like have
0: dad like catch the baby? Honestly, it's a up to the doctor. And if it's a low risk delivery, there's, there's not an issue with it at all. Um, and, I mean, let's be real. I, don't think, like, I feel like I would have Jake totally get down there and, like, Hi. <laughs> And I was just about to say, I feel like it depends on the dad. Some dads are totally into it. They're like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. And some dads, I'm like, uh-uh, go over there and sit down. Don't be out. I see you already.
2: <laughs> don't make my job harder. I don't need another patient. And, listen, I
0: tell the dads the
2: same thing. I'm like, listen,
0: do you know what happens when dads pass out? Absolutely nothing. We will step over you. And <laughs> we will keep moving. I'm like, I don't like for my I haven't taken care of a man in ten years, so you yeah. not here. <laughs> what does your shift
1: report look like? Because okay, obviously bursts happen when they happen. So how do you like even do that for your shift report? What does that look like?
0: Um, uh, it definitely depends. I mean, there's definitely different stages of labor, so you may get a patient who is, and it definitely depends on like which baby it is for you. So if it's a primate, like it's your first time baby, and you are an induction, normally an induction takes anywhere from 24 to 48 hours. So you know, getting report as a labor and delivery nurse, if you're getting report and the nurse says yes, like this is her first baby and she's one centimeter. It's like, well, I got mm, time I got time. time. <laughs> <laughs> like in my head, I'm like, okay, cool. Let me give me some coffee. Um, but then you may get a different report. That's like, hey, she's a multip. This is baby number six. She's nine centimeters and she's feeling pressure. I would not even leave the room because that baby could come out at any moment. I would not step out the room. So Yeah, it just depends. Or you may get something, you know, if it's 7 a.m. Oh, my gosh, I have such a funny story. Um, It was like 7 a.m. and I I came in and I had an induction and they said, yeah, your induction was supposed to be here um, at 7 a.m. But, you know, she's not here. So just wait for her. She called. She said she's on her way. I was like, okay, cool. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And finally, I just like tell one of my nurse friends, I'm like, hey, I have everything the room set up when she gets here. I'm going to run downstairs Starbucks, get some coffee and come back up. So I got some coffee. I ate my little breakfast. The cute little patient, she just wobbles in at like 8 a.m. So it was a whole hour. I was like, Lord, what's going on? So I'm getting her medical history and I'm talking to her. I'm like, oh, what do you do? Blah, blah. She's like, girl, I'm a nurse. She was like, girl, when I saw they put 7 a.m., I was like, I'm not gonna do my nurse like that. I gave you time for coffee. (laughs) And And love her patients. Love her. (laughs) Love you, and it was so funny. We we're just kind of laughing. She's like, "Did you get your coffee and your breakfast?" I was like, "I did," and then she was, oh just God, and was like, "My husband gave me so much crap for it. He thought I was so crazy." But see, it worked. It
2: worked.
1: That is awesome. That was yeah, so nurses funny. know. We all know.
2: We know. <laughs> oh, when I was in the hospital, I told my nurse I was like. I want my pain meds every four hours. That happens to be when you do vitals. I can take myself to the bathroom. If you just bring in my pain meds with vitals, those are the only time you have to come in my room. And yep. she was like, I love you. And I was like, mutual respect.
0: We know, we know. I think they were
2: fighting over me <laughs> wanting me as their patient. The person and I feel patient. like
0: it's either like one way or the other. The nurses are either like the best yes. patients in the world or they are the worst Well, you worst don't want favorite. me
2: to have a family member in the post because I am that family member I'm sorry
0: (laughs) you can't Um, help it for me
2: I'm chill and relaxed but if it's my family member I'm like watching you like a hawk and I got opinions
0: you know what's so funny so a lot of my family were in the medical field we're all nurses and doctors and um every time we have a family member in the hospital we don't say anything no one they figure it out though there's 10 medical professionals in the room and we're just like and they do because my uncle will say something like oh how are his little kidneys doing and the nurse is like they're doing fine and he's like what do you mean by fine what's the creatinine level in the nurse the like, creat-
2: like yeah. <laughs> That's you know, is. I don't ever out my or I don't specifically say I'm a nurse but that once I'm like well what's the white count they're like
1: so I want to go back to this because I think this is actually really interesting so in the NICU world we have you know, what level, different levels of NICU. So we have level one and we have level four, right? So one being the least acute, four being the most acute. And you mentioned something about this with the hospitals and L&D and the differences. Can you touch on that? Because I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I'm so glad
0: you asked that because a lot of people get it confused. Um, So with NICU, like you said, level one's least acuity, level four is highest acuity. One unique thing about NICU specifically that I didn't realize until I was a travel nurse is, Um, I know like in Texas, we have level four NICUs, but in some states, level three is the highest they go for the entire state. I didn't realize that. Um, So like travel nursing wise, if you want to be a NICU nurse, of course, it'd be great if you could start in a level four NICU because you're going to get like all that experience and skill set. And then no matter where you travel, like you're going to be good to go. Um, but when it comes to the level trauma center, it's actually backwards. So a level one trauma center is highest acuity, high volume. That's where you fly all of the high acuity patients into. It's going to be like the largest, highest acuity hospital in the area. Level two is going to be a step down. Level three is going to be a step down. Level four is like clinic. So, and then like level three, four is like urgent care, you know, and then level, and and also like, and level two would be like the smaller community critical access hospitals. But then when they get a high risk, high acuity patient, they fly them out to the level one. So labor and delivery wise, when I am, as a labor and delivery travel nurse, I prefer level one trauma centers I like very I've worked at some of the busiest laboring deliveries in the country you know a thousand fifteen hundred deliveries a month that's what I prefer and so they typically will have a they'll be at a level one trauma center with a level four NICU
2: did you start as a new grad in a level one
0: um yes I started at a level one trauma center in the in the county so it was um it's a good learning good experience <laughs> I got everything. Yeah, I got lots and lots of experience. Um and I actually started off on mother baby, which was not what I expected at the time, but in hindsight, I'm grateful for the experience that I did get. So, I will say for anyone who is really trying to be a labor and delivery nurse, I know it can be more difficult to find those jobs. Um but if you can't get labor and delivery, the next best step is not a year in med don't do that yes (laughs) Yes. amen Amen. thank you You do not have to pay
1: your dues in med old school that's old school thinking
0: it's old school thinking and it's not really helpful if you're going to go to labor and delivery because you're obviously not going to have moms and babies in med search. Wow, um, you're going to learn lots team. of stuff in med search, but it's not really going to be related to labor and delivery. So the next best thing is mother baby, because that is, you're still going to learn a lot of those med search types of skills. Like you're going to have a, a ton of patients. <laughs> um, my ratios were Anywhere from like five to six couplets, which is high, but I was in Texas. Um, So, you know, you're definitely going to learn how to prioritize, how to multitask. And you're going to, if you're at a level one trauma center, you're going to have some sick patients. So I took care of some really, really, really sick moms. That's like another misconception about labor and delivery is that like everyone's healthy and no one's really that sick. And I'm like, listen, I'm taking care of patients with cancer. Gunshot wounds, stab wounds, kidney failure, liver failure, vehicle
2: accidents. Yes,
0: because pretty much anything and everything that can happen to like (laughs) I'm like pregnant people aren't excluded from getting sick, getting in car wrecks, having heart conditions, having it's it's all the same sick people. And then when they get pregnant, they're over in labor and delivery. No one
2: wants a pregnant person in their hospital. They want them in (laughs) L&D.
0: Like, they definitely want them in labor and delivery. Um so, I consider
2: L&D critical care. And I think that 100%. that's a misconception is people don't consider that. But I'm like, you guys do a lot of, you do code blues on moms. You do codes on the babies. You are a critical care unit. Yes. And we're,
0: um and of course, depending on. What uh, level trauma center you're at is definitely going to vary. So like if you're at like a smaller critical access hospital, yeah, you're going to even patient pregnant or not, they're going to go to an ICU because you don't you just don't have like the, the staff and the resources. But typically at a level one trauma center where they're doing thousands of deliveries a month. You're going to have several OB, OBGYNs, hospitalists that are there 24-7. You're going to have several anesthesiologists that are there. You're going to have cardiologists that come and do consults. You have all of your resources to keep your pregnant patient on L&D, but also like help with whatever condition that they may have. And there's also such thing as OBICU. I did not even know that that existed until I became a labor and delivery nurse and I was working at other hospitals and I'm like, oh, they have specific OB ICUs at some hospitals. So if you're interested in that critical, super like taking care of super sick patients, but so you also wanna do the OB side of things, there are um, OB ICUs.
2: So how fast can something in the delivery room go wrong and become all of a sudden a critical situation? Yeah, like
1: when do you get nervous? Like
0: what makes you mm-hmm. a little like,
1: ooh.
0: Mm. Um, well, I will say, if you're not nervous it's time for you to retire i feel like you every Absolutely. nurse yes. no matter like how much experience mm-hmm. you have you should always be a little nervous um it, it keeps you on your toes because you never want to be too cocky because that's when it gets dangerous like you know what i mean um and i will say in labor and delivery how quickly can things go bad um within seconds i mean really i mean um but i will say you know as a labor and delivery nurse you, you're keeping your eye on the strip and if the strip is uh you know you have category one which is great category two is yeah and then you have category three which is like stat c-section so sometimes you'll see the strip go from category one to category two to category three let's go for a stat um and sometimes It just sometimes it just happens quickly. You never know. Sometimes uh, the heart rate just goes down, and you you go in the room. I'll say when I start to get nervous is when you know if there's a deceleration in the heart rate rate. I will go in the room and I will do my interventions. And then after I'm doing my interventions for three to four minutes and none of them are working and the heart rate has been down past that four, five minute mark, that's when it's like, okay, let's call the doctor. We may have to do a C-section because you know, the heart rate can't be down much longer after this. Um, so, but definitely when it comes to nervousness, I will, and then I tell my patients this, I actually don't get nervous about a stat C-section it used to scare the hell out of me. I, when I started as a new grad, I used to have nightmares. <laughs> I'm so scared. But now I tell my patients, I'm like, listen, I've been doing this for 10 years. I've literally done thousands of c-sections all a stat c-section is is a little bit faster it's this regular c-section that we do every single day i know you as a patient you don't go through this every single day but to reassure you we do this every single day and a stat c-section just means we're going to move a little bit faster girl and i give them that little speech right before i pull the plug out the wall i'm like listen girl I'll pull this plug out the wall. It's gonna be like, woo, 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 and a bunch of people are gonna run in. Don't be scared. <laughs> I'm like, just look at, look me in the eye. If I'm good, then you're good. You just take slow, deep breaths for your baby. We're gonna move fast, and you're gonna be okay. And they're like, all right, let's go. Let's roll down the hallway. I want you as my L and D
2: nurse. If I ever get pregnant, can you do a travel assignment in California? No, I like, screw that.
0: I'm oh flying you out. <laughs> <laughs> Another crazy thing is I've actually, um, and it was just a coincidence. I ended up delivering one of my friends, like my best friends from high school. Like we cheered together and everything. And I just happened, she moved to one city and I just happened to be a travel nurse at that hospital in that city. And it was crazy because she posted on Instagram. She was like, today's the day I'm having a baby. I'm here for my induction. And I was getting ready for work in the morning. I was like, hey, that hospital room looks so familiar. It looks just like... My assignment, and I still didn't think anything about it. And then I got there and I saw her name on the board, and I like ran in the room and I was like, Okay, I really want to be your nurse, but if it's going to be awkward because my hand's going to be up here for JJ, like I totally understand. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, No, I want you to be my nurse. Oh my God, so excited. So it was really cool.
2: (laughs) I love like what a small world nursing is. One of my best friends from elementary school had her baby in my NICU. And oh. I was like a mama bear. Like I made that my primary patient. I made my friends sign up for your primaries. And then her brother ended up meeting one of the nurses that I made sign up for her. And they got married.
0: Yeah. Oh, that is so <laughs> cute.
2: We love you. You're welcome. Congratulations. Your husband. I love <laughs> She listens that. to this podcast. We love you. But yeah, I just, that's so cool that you yeah. were able to like be there in such a like life pivotal moment.
0: Oh, it was so crazy, and then every time I and it was like my first year as a travel nurse. So every time I see her little girl, I'm like,
2: Oh my gosh, she's so big, and that's she's awesome. like, It make you feel old.
1: Yes, now that yes. all of our primaries are getting so yes, so When I'm
2: getting invites to seventh birthday parties from <sighs> NICU babies. I'm like, I'm like Ooh, I've been a nurse for a long time. That's
0: so <laughs> crazy, but I'm not so gonna funny. lie, I cannot wait to be that nurse on labor and delivery where there's like a new grad. Like, oh, how old are you? I'm 21. Girl, I've been a nurse since <laughs> before you were born.
2: <laughs> we all
1: know them. Okay, so I have a really selfish question to ask you because I'm really curious about this. How much does it matter when you're choosing an OB? Like, what are some qualities in OB that you think are like really good that you should be looking out for as
0: a future mom? Um, I would definitely, I'm so glad you asked this because most people don't actually choose their OB most people just kind of go with whatever random OB was doing their pap smear. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like,
2: okay, cool. Oh, this be
0: <laughs> <laughs> or are they just like, I don't know most of the, Yeah. So I'm really glad that you asked that. Um, I would say number one, you want to have, well, I would definitely try to deliver at a hospital that has a, if, if it's in the area, a level three or four NICU, especially if you're high risk, simply because you don't want to be in a situation where you deliver, your baby has to go to a level three NICU and you're stuck at the hospital and your baby shipped off to another hospital. So that's something to definitely think about if you are high risk, you know, you end up being a high risk mom or whatever. Um, when it comes to your OB-GYN, one thing to consider is OB-GYN compared to midwife, see which one may be you know um the better option for you midwives tend to be give more holistic care not all mds are not holistic but midwives just the way that they're trained are you know midwives training they tend to be more holistic and also midwives started off as nurses. So they just tend to have a much, much better bedside manner. And most midwives were labor and delivery nurses for several years. So they they, they have a stronger bond with their patient. Um, obviously, I'm a little biased. So I tend to lean towards <laughs> midwives. Um, but when it comes to Gens, I think, or midwives, I think it's very important to be upfront about what your birth preferences are to make sure that you guys are aligned. Because a lot of times as an L and D nurse, I, you know, you tend to know the doctors that are just not into the, we call it like natural granola, whatever you want to call it. Like
2: crunchy granola, (laughs) yeah,
0: crunchy granola. You know, um, there's some doctors who are just totally not into that at all. And they're just not for it. And as an LED nurse. I'm like, how did this patient end up with that doctor? And then they clash the whole entire time. But ultimately to prevent that from happening, you have to discuss your preferences for your birth. On your, the, the first um, time you meet up, y'all should be talking about that. And you shouldn't be bringing up things like, oh, by the way, I want to keep my placenta. You shouldn't bring that up at the hospital that should have been planned and brought up weeks and weeks before um so that's like a huge thing because that will help you figure out like you basically tell your doctor whatever your preferences are like by the way i want to go totally natural i definitely i don't want an epidural i don't want you know a whatever it is and just have a conversation with your doctor and fill them out and see you know whether you guys agree or disagree on the plan of care That's going to get you a long way. And then also talk to other moms and see what their experiences are with their doctors. um, and if they had a good experience and another really important thing to consider is I've had this happen a couple of times with different patients is, um, like say the doctor has a partner and they love, love, love their doctor. And they're like, Oh, I hate Dr. So, and so that's their partner. If you absolutely hate Dr. So-and-so, you have to really consider that your doctor does not work 24-7. So there is a good chance that you may end up seeing their partner and their partner may very well be like end up delivering you. So that's just another thing to consider. So
1: do you have any like good tips and tricks for future moms of how to come in as an ideal with a ideal pregnancy?
0: Hmm. I would say for an ideal pregnancy, number one, come with an open mind. And it's kind of like we talked about the plan versus preference. That's why it should be preferences come with an open mind because everything may not go as planned. It just, it probably won't. I mean, it just, it is what it is. We can't predict. I tell my patients all the time, honey, if I could predict everything exactly, I'd be making a hell of a lot more money. Okay. (laughs) Like
2: (laughs) what is it called the NICU nurse curse? All of our friends that have been NICU nurses always end up with an unplanned Mm C-section. It's like the NICU nurse curse. It's Mm -hmm. like they don't want a C-section. They have their preferences. They've been in the L&D room as a NICU nurse and... For whatever reason their delivery always goes wrong unplanned c-section mm-hmm. i can count like 10 friends of nicu nurses
0: yes and it's you know and, and just nurse curse in general because yes. labor and delivery nurses come in and it's like oh lord this is gonna be crazy I don't want <laughs> <them>. <laughs> <laughs> um but definitely when it comes to c-sections um i definitely say be open-minded around that i feel like a lot of people have a lot of fear A fear and anxiety around C-sections and they come in like, I don't want a C-section. That's going to be the end of the world if I have to have a C-section. And I'm like, listen, I don't want you to have a C-section either. But I also know as a labor and delivery nurse, that's a real possibility with anyone, even if you're low risk, it is a possibility, like period. So instead of going in with the mindset of, oh my God, that can't happen to me. It's going to be the worst thing ever. It's like, this is definitely not what I had planned. But if it goes that down that way, like, can we talk about it? And as a labor and delivery nurse, I am upfront and honest with my patients, and I talk to them throughout the day. If their strip isn't looking good and it, look, and it looks like it's headed that way, I definitely start talking to them about it. I go over the strip with them, and usually – they're so educated by the time the doctor's about to call the c section, they're nodding their head. They're like, mm hmm, Sarah told me. I've been looking <laughs> at, the at end these the details. I just want a
2: safe baby.
0: Yeah, and exactly. Like, if I feel like if the patient, that's what makes c section scary when the patient is not involved in the plan of care and they don't understand what's going on. They're confused, they're scared, and they're anxious. But if you're talking to them throughout the day, like this is what's going on. And if A, B and C keeps happening, we're gonna have no choice but to do a C-section. So for example, one thing that um, happens, it's like sometimes the contractions stress the baby out. And every time the mom gets into a good active labor, the contractions stress the baby out. And then they're not dilating. Sometimes you're just between a rock and a hard place. You can't have a baby if you're not dilating and you can't, you know, keep dilating unless we give you the medication to help you dilate. But then we give you that. It stresses the baby out. And it's just like this, you know, ongoing circle. So it's like if it if that ends up happening and if you explain it to the patient 99% of the time, they're like, oh, Lord, I see what you're saying. Yep. Yep. Every time I start contract. Yep. Okay. All right, well, let's go ahead and get ready for the C section. Like, I'm okay with that because at the end of the day, they want is what's best for their baby, and most moms are going to. It, I think, it empowers them to give, give them. I usually they, you, I well, hopefully they have like the opportunity to. We discuss the plan of care like ahead of time, and I'm like, you know, we're going to do A and we're going to do B, and if this keeps happening, C section would be the next step. And usually, they're ready to take. they like, okay, I get it. Let's go. And it's a decision we all make together. Um, but you know, the stat C-sections, they happen. I mean, sometimes you break the bag of water and there's a cord prolapse and it's a stat C-section. That can happen to anybody at any time. I mean-
2: Or a nuchal cord.
0: You know, so.
2: I think it's cool how much education you provide compared to other units. Cause a lot of, um, in the prenatal period, education revolves around new mom and what to do when they have the baby. And maybe like some minor like laboring classes, but it doesn't really go over the fact of like fetal strip monitoring and what you're looking at and indications for C-K- C-sections. So I think it's great when they have a nurse like you that takes so much time to educate about what's really happening during the labor process.
0: I really love educating my patients. Um... I do. I, and <laughs> the, some labor and delivery nurses, like they laugh at me because one thing I love about, I just love the first time mom and dads, they're so cute and I love educating them and telling them what's going on. And it's just so cute. I just, I just love it. Um, but some labor and delivery nurses are like, Oh gosh, it's so repetitive, you know, but I just, I think it's just the cutest thing ever. And it's just, and you can always tell the first time mom and dads cause they come in with like a whole suitcase. And the mom's all dressed all cute because she don't know what's about to hit it.
2: <laughs> got mascara on. Like, I I don't have makeup on, hair done, <laughs> dressed
0: all cute. You're like, oh, Lord. Oh, and then you can always tell, like, the patient who's had, like, six kids because they ain't got no bag. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> I like you like got I did not bring one, but I know y'all got one here. Like, <laughs> like, it's so funny. But I definitely agree. I think that education in labor and delivery and in any, you know, on nursing in general, I feel like educating your patient and keeping them involved in the plan of care helps with so much. It helps relieve their, their anxiety. And I'm a strong believer in keeping them very much involved in the plan of care. I think it makes a huge, huge
2: difference. So I have a couple of delivery related questions. What are your thoughts on VBACs or can you tell everyone what a VBAC is? I think it's a yes. controversial topic. Really. I like,
0: yeah. Especially for a NICU nurse.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'll tell you, I'm a little biased. So, well, VBAC is virginal, virginal, <laughs> vaginal birth <laughs> after C section. Um, so, you have VBAC. And then, in case you guys have ever heard of TOLAC, trial of labor after C-section. So you'll have your TOLAC. I've never heard yeah. of that.
2: Yeah. I only know when the baby nope. comes out.
0: That's <laughs> why i like, I don't hear really those things from you. Same. Yes, yeah, like I feel like in OB we speak a different totally different language during report. We're like, yeah, this is TOLAC. Hopefully she'll get a V back and people are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I definitely think there's some doctors who, and this is a very good one when it comes to picking an OB gin there are some doctors who absolutely will not do a VBAC, like period, there's no discussion. And it is insane to me that a patient can go a whole nine months and that not come up and they get to the hospital and they're like, wait a minute, I want a VBAC. And the doctor's like, no, you're getting a C-section. And it turns into like this whole thing. Um, So when it comes to vaginal births after cesarean, I think it is totally possible, but it depends on why you had the cesarean. So for example, like the instance that I just gave, like say you came into labor, they broke your bag of water, there's a cord prolapse, and you know, you had a stacy section. Well, in that situation, you absolutely should have a trial of labor because you you didn't actually get a real try at it. Um, now there's some patients who come in and they really want to be back. And I'm like, Oh, and I always ask, okay, well, why did you have your last C-section? And they're like, well, um, I had my last C-section because my baby was, you know, eight pounds. No, we'll say first baby was seven pounds and I got to complete and I pushed and pushed and pushed for four hours. And then the shoulders got stuck and we had to go for a stat C-section and my baby almost died. I'm like, okay, well, the chart says this baby is nine pounds. (laughs) So why, you know, like that does not make any sense. This is not going to be a better situation. (laughs) This is not going to be, you know, good. So yeah, Yeah. it definitely depends on how their first labor went and why they got that first C-section. But um, yeah, I've done a lot of V-backs and I said I was biased at the beginning because At the county hospital that I started off as, like, as a staff nurse, one of the doctors there, she was doing this huge study for VBACs. It was when it was kind of ten years ago, so it was when it was kind of like a very like new thing. And she, people would fly in to do like VBACs with her, so they did thousands and thousands. So that was kind of like the norm to me as an L and d nurse. Because before, I mean, back in the day, they basically the risk with having a VBAC is that you know if you have a C-section, you have a scar on your uterus and it can increase the chances of uterine rupture because you have that scar there and it can break apart. Um, but studies have shown that, and of course there's different like risk factors, but studies have shown that for most people, it's like a less than 1 to 3% chance that that would actually happen. So it's not as risky as like people think now, of course. Did
2: anyone listen to this? Yeah, it's not I'll medical advice. Disclaimer, just, disclaimer. Yeah. It's my Always, yeah, we'll yeah, always yeah. discuss these options with your doctor. Yeah. Don't yes. trust what we said it's as Educational law. purposes only. Yes. So, but, yeah. I, I think I have, like, NICU nurse PTSD. Yeah. And then now working on transport, I do the NICU transports from other hospitals to our level four NICU. So I only get those v gone wrong or things like that. So I did pick up a, um, one for body cooling that was born hypoxic. Apgar's were like zero, zero two or something and was already seizing when I got there. It was not good. Mom was on uh, a ventilator in the ICU. She had a uterine rupture and, wasn't looking good at all and so it gives me this like nicu nurse i think PTSD. We, i think
1: nicu nurses we tend to be on that yeah. side just because we see all of the L and D gone wrong
2: yeah, yeah we only absolutely. see the wrong i don't see the hundreds of successful B be- or thousands of successful v-backs that you were trained at
0: mm-hmm. yeah and i will say um it definitely depends. And, and as a labor and delivery nurse, you treat your VBAC patients completely different than you treat someone who has a high C-section, um, especially when it comes to, um, you know, starting Pitocin on them and starting up those contractions. Like you're not going to titrate it as fast or, or uh, put it as high. You're going to start low and go slow when it comes to a VBAC patient and if they start showing any signs of uterine rupture, because there are signs, if they start showing any signs, then that's you, you're way quicker to pull mm-hmm. the plug. You're like, uh, uh, okay, let's go ahead and go, ahead, go to top out, top <laughs> <out>. <laughs>
2: Like, <laughs> you know, so. Um, pregnant terrifies me.
0: I know. I just think
2: PTSD is real.
0: And even labor and delivery nurses, um, as me as an LD nurse, I say when it comes to um, being pregnant and labor, ignorance is true bliss. I wish I yeah, didn't know everything I know. that I did
2: not know what I, I know. know. Yeah,
0: yeah. There it like when people one of my cousins who's also my best friend, um, she's not pregnant or anything yet, but she really wants a home delivery. And I was like, oh that my was my God. next question.
2: I was like, once this wraps up, I was gonna be like, so another controversial topic. How do you feel about home deliveries? I Yeah, let's let's do it. I don't like
0: them at all. And I get it that with COVID and stuff happening, it that has definitely deterred a lot of people just don't want to be at the hospital with right. COVID and the baby and all that stuff. The but limited
2: visitation is a huge right. factor yes.
0: with COVID. Yes. But I just feel like it ultimately, because, you know, you guys are NICU nurses. I'm a labor delivery nurse. There is so many things that can go wrong so quickly and minutes count. That's like my pet peeve when people are like, oh, I'm
2: only 10 minutes from the hospital. Um, nope, excuse me. nope. 10 minutes like, without being intubated is a, long
0: is a time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's brain death.
0: Yes. You're looking
2: at brain death in 10 minutes. <sighs>
0: So I just, I, I, I don't like it. And even if you're low risk, there's still things that can happen. Again, I'm biased because I'm a labor and delivery nurse. And I see a lot of things that go wrong because the fact is a lot of deliveries go perfectly fine. But for me personally, as a mother, like I, if something went wrong and my baby was at home and that like, I wouldn't be able to live with it. And I, and anyone I love, I'm, me and my cousin You're like, have no. this conversation, I'm like, we're just, I'm a, we're gonna, we're going to have a drag down argument, honey, you going. But I also told my cousin, the thing is like, you have options. Um, I have done a water birth delivery with a midwife in a
2: hospital, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I realize so. that those options exist. Can you kind of give us feedback? I don't or think like, people even realize midwives are in hospitals either. Like, yes. Or even a like, bit more.
1: what's the difference between like
0: that and then a birthing center? Um. So the biggest difference between that and a birthing center is the birthing center doesn't have that operating room. Mm-hmm. So, so if you can't the, stat
2: C-section. You can't right. do
0: a stat C-section. So it gets it again. It goes back to like those minutes. If it is a true emergency, a true stat, like it, if the birthing center is ten minutes from the hospital, yeah. Um, so I would definitely try, like, ideally for me myself, I would want a, a midwife or one of the ob gins that I know, I, obviously I know a lot, <laughs> um, and I would um, do it, you know, at the hospital, and, well, I'm not going to say whether I would do natural or epidural, because I know it's going to skew a lot of people's. <laughs> no, I was gonna, like, tell I was us, tell us.
2: Too. I want to know.
0: That. Give us all the details. I mean, me personally, like I'm definitely gonna get an epidural. Like, there's no question about and it. I would be asking uh-huh.
2: for it when before they're even like, "Ma'am, it's not indicated yet." Like, well I don't want the anesthesiologist to be at some stat C-section and I miss the window. Like, mm-hmm. give me. I'm
0: the drugs. so. Oh my gosh, it's so funny that you bring it up because I tell my patients that, but I feel like they just don't listen to you or they're so like stubborn. They're like, "Well, I know I'm not going to get it," and I'm like, "That's fine." But in case you change your mind, I'm just gonna let you know it's not immediate. It, it could be like thirty minutes especially right. when you know my a last couple unit. hours depending yeah. on yeah my last unit that I worked on um there's over 50 beds and there's two anesthesiologists and that's they may both be in the operating room or they may be doing two other epidurals or there may be six other people before you so like right. you really have to like so and of course you get the patient that's like ah, I'm dying Give me girl. <laughs> and I'm like I'm so sorry like, I told you so
2: I don't think people realize that it's not just, oh, the nurse does it. It's like, oh, I'm going to go get your morphine. I'll be right back. It's like, no, it could be a wait.
0: Yeah, there could definitely be a wait. And it's it's hilarious because you have the patient like you, Sam, that's like, before, they're not even contracted. We're like- doing asking, I'm like, like I'm getting their assessment done and asking their history and we're signing consents. They have they're not even in labor yet and they like, so when can
2: I get the epidural?
0: And I'm like, that's just a trash to get
2: I don't want to. Just <laughs> give just it, give to, it me.
0: to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the patient that's like, oh no, I would never get an epidural. I don't want any pain meds and I'm like, that's fine, but you just cried when I started your IV so I don't know how you're gonna <laughs> <get the> labor. <laughs> But, like, that's cool. It's your decision. But I'm just trying to give you a heads up. If you cried <laughs> when I started this IV, I don't know how well you're going to handle labor. But I definitely think need... like
2: God gave us these tools to make our lives better. We should use them.
1: <laughs> yes. Thank you. That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah.
0: But you know what? An anesthesiologist told me forever ago, and it always stuck with me. And of obviously, he's biased. He's for the epidural, right? But he was just like, when patients say, because you also have the patients that's like, I want to see how far I can get. And I hate hearing that as an L&D nurse because it's (sighs) just like when they want to see as far as they can get, usually when you go from like early labor to active labor, it's like zero to 100. You're handling it, you're handling it, and then it just switches and all of a sudden you're dying and then you can't sit still for the epidural and then it's like a whole mess. So the patient that's like, oh, I'm trying to hold out until I almost, I just can't handle it. I'm like, girl, you, you got to sit still for this epidural. Um, but the anesthesiologist, he said the patient that says like, Oh, I want to see how far I can get. And he said, that's equivalent to saying like, yeah, I have, um, heart surgery. So go ahead and start it without anesthesia. And I want to see how far I can get. <laughs> like, know, like, yeah. What
2: is the point? <laughs> I also don't ever want to miss the boat where they're like, no, it's coming now. The baby's coming. Like there's no time. Yeah. That's my and worst I- nightmare.
0: That I will say um, that's a common misconception. So as mm-hmm. an LNG nurse, well, okay. I watch too much TV. Well, okay. It depends. If it's your sixth baby and that thing is about to fly out, like, yeah, no, you're, no. So as a labor and delivery nurse, if you're a multiple, which means you've had multiple babies, two or three kids, and you're at like eight or nine centimeters, I'm not going to let you sit up and get your epidural because of safety purposes. That's just not an option because a baby can just fly out. Now, if you're a first-time mom, <laughs> you could be a first-time mom and you could be nine centimeters for three hours. So, but the reason why they say don't, uh, uh, the, the misconception is a lot of times when people quote unquote like can't get that epidural, it's not really because they're like nine or 10 centimeters. I've had a patient 10 centimeters complete sit up and get that epidural because she could sit up and sit still. The problem is when most people get to like ten centimeters, they cannot sit. It's so painful. The head is right there. Right. <laughs> it's right. so painful to actually even like sit up. If they're contracting every one to two minutes, they cannot sit still. It's just not a realistic possibility. Um, so, and I tell my patients this. I'm like, if you are, think, I get it if you don't want your epidural immediately, which I actually, I don't recommend that you get your epidural, me, epidural immediately because part of... <laughs> don't, yeah, don't do that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and the reason is you know, when you're in labor, you want to get up and you want to move your hips around yeah. and you want you want movement. You want to be able to turn from side to side as much as you can. So in early labor and also early labor can be 12 to 24 hours. So do you really want to have an epidural for 48 hours if you have a longer labor? So there's different things to consider. But, you know, once if you start getting closer to active labor, once your contractions get closer to two to three minutes apart and once you are actively dilating and the definition of active labor is around anywhere from like six to seven centimeters you're contracting every two to three minutes that's active labor because in early labor you can be one centimeter and then four hours later be two centimeters like (laughs) early labor can last a long time and then even
2: like you said with with first mom i remember working in the NICU and they'd be like Oh, Sam, you're getting this admission. She's nine centimeters. And I'm like, cool. Is it her first or her sixth? And they're like, first baby. I'm like, all right, I'm going to lunch. Exactly. You're yeah, like, okay, I'm going to lunch. It's cool. I'm like, yeah. For this admission, we're good. For and sure. Like, no, this is her sixth baby. I'm like, all right. All
0: right. And we're her. getting ready. <laughs> yep, exactly. Got and so back. I tell my patients, especially first time moms, if they know they want an epidural, but they don't want to get it too early or whatever, I tell them, Whenever the contractions start to take your breath away, that's when it's time to get your epidural. Because it'll get to a point where you're contracting and you're talking to your husband, you're like, whoa, this <laughs> one's so kind of strong. And then <laughs> like, <laughs> laugh, get through and, it. Like, and then you're breathing in between them. You're like, okay. And then it gets to the point where you're like, oh god. <gasps> And your husband's trying to talk to you and you're like, don't touch me, get away from me. Like <laughs> you're it. like, all right, time. it's yeah, time. epidural time. Okay. Um, okay. And because if you try to push past that point, it's going to get to the point where you're just screaming. You're all over the place and you can't sit still for your epidural. Um, So, yeah. So but use actually, gravity to
1: your advantage for the first part. Just do the ball, yeah. stand up, like use gravity and
2: then... I yes. actually wanted, know, what oh, do you ahead. think is, like, the best birth position? Oh, Well, <laughs> for who?
0: Yeah, ooh, who? I don't even know. But I've heard the all best? the
2: talks of, like, the back with the stirrup ups isn't actually, like, physiologically. Or, like, the, the peanut ball. What is that?
0: Okay. So, <laughs> the reason why I said for who, because the back with the stirrups up, that is the best position for, for the, the OB. doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is the best position for the doctor, and um, basically, it gives them a full view of everything that's going on. And if the shoulders get stuck, they can man- they're able to easily man- maneuver and stuff, right? Um, but technically, the best position to have a baby in would be um, like the squatting position, like holding a rope or a bar up top in a squatting position. Now I will tell you 99 Well, not to say 99, 90% of people can't do that. Cause they have an epidural you can't squat with an epidural. Right. Um, so and yes, you. like 90% <laughs> of people get an epidural. I think that's a huge misconception. I feel like people think like, Oh, it's 50, 50. No, like nine out of 10 patients have an epidural. Um, so, but if you can't do the moving and stuff, this is another huge misconception. Getting an epidural does not stop your labor. It does not stop your labor, it doesn't slow it down. What slows down labor is when you stop moving. So think of your, you know, your hips are like a, a diamond shape and the head is trying to get and mold through. And when you're moving around, you're giving the baby to slowly, you're giving that baby room oh, to slowly come down. And when you have an epidural, you just you sit there and the baby just wedged. <laughs> like, Okay, mama, I'm trying to come through, but you're just sitting here, you know? So that's where the peanut ball really comes in handy. And the peanut ball is literally the, uh, the shape of a peanut. And you put it in between the legs. And what it does is, um, this is so, like, I'm doing, like, hand m- movements with you guys. But I know this is a podcast. I'm so, so I'm like, how do I just How do I explain the this? Way, like, legs possible? over... In between. Yeah. So you would lay like on your side and then you would put the peanut ball in between your legs. And what it does is it opens up your pelvis wider to give that baby room to turn and come down. So I am such a huge fan of the peanut ball as a labor and delivery nurse. My pa- like my patients crack me. I'm the I'm the nurse. That puts my patients in these crazy ass positions. And they're always laugh. They're like, Sarah, what are you doing? I'm like, listen, when that baby-baby out, <laughs> like, baby out. They'll give me a report in the morning, and be like, yeah, she's been stuck at eight centimeters. She's probably gonna get a C-section. We're waiting for the doctor to get here at 9 a.m. And I'll call the doctor and I'll be like, eat breakfast. I got this. Let me do these <laughs> positions and I'll like put the patient in all these like crazy positions. And then the patient's like, oh crap, I'm feeling pressure. I'm like, mm-hmm. Because that head <laughs> has room to like turn and come down. I didn't um, even
2: know that so. thing existed. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and
0: cool. I'm so glad you mentioned that because yeah. some hospitals don't have peanut balls. That's what so I was gonna ask, do they all so have one. those? That is like a pro tip if you were going into labor and delivery. Go number one. I would buy my own peanut ball just in general for like sanitary reasons. Of course, we clean them, but it still just kind of crazy. me out. I think one of my
1: hospitals actually per, they provide them mm-hmm. for each patient. The other yes. one, I don't know.
2: I've never so, heard of it.
0: One of the hospitals that I worked at, each patient was provided with their own peanut ball, and you they came with a pump and the ball, and you know I would blow it up and I would give it to them, and then they took it home. Um, that is great. And you can also ask the facility, like they they, they usually do, like a hospital tour, NICU tour. So you can ask during the tour if they're if it's provided to them. But most hospitals, um, I don't know. I guess it depends. They're they're becoming more popular. Like, can we I buy guess, them on
1: I, Amazon? Yes, and that's, what's, okay. that's what that's I tell <laughs> like my my friends. i like
0: two things: buy yourself a peanut ball on Amazon also buy yourself um those pregnancy pillows that are like the shape of like the big
2: oh, s mm-hmm. those I oh get one gosh. of those anyways i want that just for myself to sleep because i oh, like absolutely. to sleep like,
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely so good
2: baby yeah. shower gift a peanut ball that peanut ball yes Oh, a peanut oh, ball and this. the pillow that's
0: shaped like an s because let me tell you the my poor patients they be like. Can I get another pillow? I'm like, girl, you in labor. You can have fifteen thousand pillows, girl. It's gonna hurt. heart. <laughs> okay,
1: this is a good question. What are the best um gifts to give a mom
0: for like a hospital bag?
1: Or like what's the things that you would actually use that you know you could give to a mom?
0: So I would say the must-haves are a very good, like the the big long S-shaped pillow, um, simply because the hospital pillows are like crap. And the yeah, they and, and you have mm-hmm. to think about how A labor and delivery bed is built for you not to sleep in it. It's not our plan for you to be here two or three days. They're not comfortable. The bed actually breaks down right smack dab in the middle for the delivery. So there's a huge indention in the middle that makes your back hurt. So it's just not a comfortable bed. So you want to make sure you have pillows. I think the breastfeed, breastfeeding um, pillow thingy that um, I don't even know. Like a called. boppy, the boppy or the, yeah, the breast boppy. friend. Yeah. This is how y'all going to tell that I'm such a labor nurse and like not a.
1: You're like, nurse. I don't know those things. I'm like, <laughs> oh,
0: the baby comes out. Bye, girl. My mom. Yes. <laughs> <Yes>. Hello, <laughs> Nikki. Have fun <some> breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of breastfeeding, um, another thing that I've seen patients do is A lot of them will buy like this cute little nightgowns and, um, all that stuff. And buy, buy some sort of gown or top that makes it easy to breastfeed. Like you don't want a top Mm -hmm. that you're messing around with and you're tired and you're exhausted and find a top that's easy to slip. Remember you're going to be, you're going to have an IV you're going to have. So don't try to get nothing easy. Boob access. Yeah, easy boob access and um, don't even bring underwear, number one, like whatever. Modesty is out the window. (laughs) Number one, modesty is out the window. And number two, you're going to have so much postpartum bleeding, like whatever underwear you buy, you're going to throw it away. So just use the hospital mesh undies. They're actually really comfortable and super stretchy. Um, So don't, yeah, maybe underwear for your last day when you're, actually no, I would still say use the mesh undies. (laughs) Yeah, take one to go. For the I, I mean, I will say and every patient is different, right? Like some women just love their hair and makeup. And I had one of my patients, she was about to go for a C-section and it wasn't stat. It was just like urgent. And there is another patient ahead of her. That was an actual stat. So we're like, oh, it's going to be about an hour before you go back. You know, baby's looking good. She's like, okay. And she was a makeup artist. So she pulled out her whole stand, her, <laughs> yeah, her lights. Like, and she put on her lashes. lashes, did a full face. Her friend had like a curling iron. They were curling her hair. Right. like, baby, my uh picture's about to look cute. In room. <laughs>
2: She's looking like Princess <laughs> Kate. So right. it's
0: like, if you want, you know, you can um, definitely, you can do, you can bring makeup if you want. And honestly, if you have an epidural, like definitely be wearing makeup in labor because you're not really feeling too much, of, too uncomfortable. Um, What are other things that you have to have? Another like, Good question to ask is a lot of patients will come in. Oh, it's so cute. It's the first time moms. They're like, I brought snacks for my labor. And the hospital is like, well, you can't eat. <laughs> so, uh, Nope. <laughs> the first thing you want to ask is, are you able to eat during labor? Because it really de- depends. Um, as a labor and delivery travel nurse, it is so crazy how much it varies from place to place. Like, gosh, there's some facilities you can't eat, you can't drink, you can't do anything. There's other facilities that are like, eh, she's not in active labor. What, you want to eat a little protein bar? Eat it. You want something to drink? Cool. You need electrolytes. You're in labor. Go ahead. Drink. Um, so you should definitely, that's something to discuss with your doctor, see what the policy is. Um, those are little things that upset people so much that are very black and white that you can you can prevent that when you just ask your doctor during your appointment before you get there. Like, what is the typical plan? So you can set your expectations. That's um a really good tip. But if you can, a lot of places won't let you eat. Well, if you're an ind- it depends. I'm just saying it depends. Um, but some will let you drink like clear liquids. So if you want to bring your own clear Jello, um, Jello popsicles, Gatorade is really good because sometimes like labor is. It's truly like running a marathon. Your uterus is one of the largest muscles in your body. And it is contracting every two to three minutes for 24, 48, 72 hours. It is exhausting. So having that Gatorade gives you that boost of energy that you need for you and your baby. So that's that's, um, one good thing to bring if they'll allow you to drink the Gatorade.
2: (laughs) Advice for partners for while mom's laboring yes this is so good I think my sister-in-law almost killed my brother when she had her first baby (laughs) because she couldn't eat and he had a beef sandwich that he was eating in the room like a philly cheesesteak or something and she was like now my whole room smells like beef and you're eating in front of me she was like i honestly like wanted to hit him with a pillow this is your
1: brother yes god I'm not surprised. No. And then
2: when the baby was born, she was like, she had a C-section. She saw a catheter in, and the baby's like crying, and he's sleeping. And she threw a pillow at him across the room because he didn't even wake up to like pick the Because she can't pick the baby up herself. Yep. And she was like yelling his name, yelling his name. He was sound asleep, and she finally threw a pillow at his head.
0: It's I'm so like, hilarious because this happens all the time in labor and delivery, and it just like cracks me up because sometimes, you know, as a mom, like, you're in labor, you're in the worst pain ever, you're not sleeping. And I've had patients, they'll call me to the room, they'll first call like, Sarah, come to the room, I come to the room they're like, can you wake him up? I'm like, is there anything I can get you? No, I just want you to wake him up because he's sleeping like a baby and yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> 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 what and, I'm that and he's like sitting
2: there snoring,
0: like wake him up, he's gonna go to this torture with me. <laughs> yep, yep, if I'm in pain, you're in pain.
2: <laughs> You and, you squeeze your hand
0: <laughs> funny story I uh had one of my patients her husband who's so anxious the whole time and he was like sweaty and shaky and it's I I tell the husbands all the time I'm like you need to step out and you need to go and eat something because a lot of times they're so nervous and scared for their wife they don't even eat and then like when it and that's why a lot of husbands pass out during delivery it's not even them seeing the blood it's like their wife has been in labor for 48 hours they haven't eaten anything they're tired and they're exhausted and they just like pass out so i told the husband i'm like listen you need to go get something to eat he's like oh i'll get something to eat later and then later yeah, on in know, the shift know. do it now. yeah later on in the shift he's like on the couch he's sweating like cold sweats i'm like you need to eat some crackers i bought him like crackers and orange juice peanut butter he's like i can't i can't i said why can't you and he was like my wife said if she can't eat i can't eat either <laughs> <It's like
2: awful. laughs>
0: my kind of woman. Is her
2: name's Sam? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something I would say.
0: For sure. I
2: was like, this poor guy is like really Aww. over here suffering. Oh, but Aww. it was
0: so funny. And I turned to her. I was like, you are getting electrolytes through your IV, man." Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Equalize. So he to eat something. <laughs> and she was like, fine. He can have a cracker. <laughs> it was like a hat for it. was savage. Oh. Um, but when it comes to your partner, I will say Yes when it comes to the eating thing, when they'll typically ask me as a labor and delivery nurse, like, hey, I know my wife can't eat, but it's okay if I eat. And I, I say, I mean, you can eat downstairs. I don't even let them eat in the room because I just, I can't imagine how that feels. Like they're labor, they can't eat. And a lot of times when you're pregnant, you're super sensitive to smells and stuff. And you like a like, beef sandwich. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, that is just not going to be a good combination. And they're usually like, oh, you know, it clicks with yeah. them. You know, men can be so oblivious. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. And then I'm like, and when you go downstairs, I don't care how food how good the food is, tell your wife it was nasty. Okay? Yeah, there you go. Yes. Love <laughs> this. Be like, oh, it <laughs> wasn't good. It was dry. You wouldn't want it anyway. Oh, this hospital like, oh, food okay. is crap.
2: <laughs> Even though school uh, food has come up, some of does. the cafeteria food is actually pretty good. Yeah. For all of us
1: old-timer, good. you know, eight, ten-year nurses, we've got some good food lately. Yeah, we've seen the upgrades. Yeah. We've seen the upgrades. For sure. <laughs>
0: Um, another thing, when it comes to your partner, I would say just having a conversation and really talking to them before you get there. I think a lot of people don't talk to their husband about like expectations and that's just the worst. When you have unspoken expectations, it just leads, it's going to lead to resentment. Like maybe you expect your husband to massage you, you expect your husband to say encouraging words to you throughout the process you expect your husband to you know whatever but just have that conversation with your husband so they they know um and then also talk about what you prefer when you're in pain there's some husbands who immediately when they see their wife in pain they just want to hug them they want to touch them they want to massage them and the wife is like I'm in pain, don't touch me, get away from me. And so that leads to the whole argument. And the husband's like, I'm just trying to help. And you know, so just having that conversation of um expectations uh, before you or get just there, be okay with
1: want. what I need in the moment. Yeah, like don't what get you offended.
0: need. In, exactly. What you need in the moment. And um I'm trying to I think that's it. I think it's mainly just communicating with each other. Especially in all the good
2: tips today. Yeah. So I actually have, and sorry, I'm going to stray off show notes, but it's actually something I feel super passionate about. But a really big topic that I don't think is talked about enough in this country is the fact that our maternal death rates in this country are not really up to par as certain other countries. And then on top of that, especially you being a woman of color, how that disproportionately affects yeah. women of color. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that, and I also think that it's definitely, I mean, for me as a labor and delivery nurse, I've always known, I, I've just since forever that there is just, I've, I've just known about all the issues and, and how racism trickles into every single aspect of mm-hmm. our lives. And I feel like a lot of people are like, wait, that couldn't happen in a hospital. I'm like, it's everywhere, guys. Um, And um, for me, as a woman of color, I definitely want my provider to be a woman of color. I think it makes a difference. Um, And I would also, you know, want my pediatrician to be a, you know, person of color for the same thing. I've noticed little things like as a labor and delivery nurse, they're in there are certain nurses who don't know how to um, assess babies that are of color. I've had, you know, I've called, I had a situation where I called the NICU and the baby was black and the baby was clearly dusky. And then the NICU team arrived and the NICU nurse, well, the NICU nurse came first and the team was coming behind her. And she actually like called the team and was like, Oh no, you don't need to come. And I overheard her. And I was like, they need to come. And she was like, No, I think he's just dark skin. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I am you don't think I know like, this baby <laughs> is baby. It's, it's not just dark skin. This baby is dusky. Like, plug up the pulse socks. Look at the and of course we plugged up the pulse socks and baby was desatting and they caught, but it was just like that is a huge, huge thing. And um, in that particular situation, like do I think that nurse was racist? No. Do I think she was trained properly? No. Not Do lack I think of education. yes? Like when you go back to nursing school, when you look at the books in nursing school, yes. there's not mm-hmm. people of color. That all the examples are not people of color. Mm-hmm. Even mannequins are not people of color. Yes. They've gotten a little bit better with that at other places I've seen, kind of on the internet. Like, oh, they have black mannequins. That's cool. Um, but when yeah. I was in nursing school. We didn't have like any of that. So of course, me as a black person, I know how to assess another black person. I know what our bruises look like. I know it looks like when we're dusky, but you know, I don't know if other nurses know that and if they were trained properly. So that was like, that's one of the big things that stuck out to me
1: just gonna say it's super interesting because one of the NICUs I work at is in LA and has a heavily African American black presence and one of the moms who I spoke to because she was obviously in the NICU and you know she was very upset by that and all that but she mentioned the fact that she delivered with uh, OB a white male OB and he she wanted a preference of having a female black African American OB and she said her experience was really not great because of that and I didn't understand it right I was like I was oblivious and it's funny because now I feel like I've had such an open eye to it and trying to really be empathetic with my patients and understanding like where they're coming from
0: and why yeah for sure and I think it's a lot of it has to do with I mean it's it's a true fear it's a true fear that you're not going to be Heard, or and your, people are going to make assumptions about you. And even me as a nurse, um, a couple years ago, I was doing an assignment and I just had really bad stomach issues. My stomach was hurting so bad, and I ended up going to the emergency room. And it happened the stomach issues happened like first thing in the morning, and it just happened out of nowhere. All of a sudden, I had this stabbing pain in my stomach. So I called my mom crying, and she was like, You need to call 911. And I was like, no, I think I think I could drive to the hospital. I think I can make it. Long story short, I get to the hospital and I look crazy. Like I have my bonnet on. I'm in my pajamas. And I, they made a lot of assumptions by me just by the way they treated me and the questions that they were asking me. They're like, mm, have you done any drugs lately? Have you like I could just they the way they were looking at me and whispering about me and the questions they were asking me? And they just I was. And I immediately started crying because I just saw it all happening in front of my, and I felt so helpless mm-hmm. as a. Because you know how to advocate I mean, for you know yourself. Who knows the system? So, so you, know well the that I can't ask, you know the questions to like, ask, like and you know the questions that they're asking are inappropriate or not. You so know if it's being dismissive or not. Like you know. Yes, how and I, know. I felt exactly. Yeah. And they just made little assumptions. Like, I was just like, oh, there's stabbing pain. And they're like, well, maybe you should be a primary care physician. Do you even have one? Like, why would you assume that I don't have, and why would you assume I don't have insurance? Why would you assume I don't have a primary, like all these assumptions. And right. I, I just, I just started bawling. And it was actually the nurse who came up to me and she recognized like what was, you know, going on. And she, you know, we had a conversation and we talked and I ended up being um, okay. But yeah. I was just like, wow, I really felt like they made a lot of assumptions about me. And I didn't even mention to them that I was a nurse. I I, I don't, when I go to the hospital, I advocated right. for myself and I ended up, you know, being able to get an ultrasound and all that stuff. And they thought I was, and that's, and that's I mean, I can go on a whole rant on this, but, you know, everyone represents pain differently. So just because I'm not running around like crazy doesn't mean, I, you know, I'm not in pain. And so it was just, it was a lot, um, but yeah. That's something
2: I try to speak on and even tell my nursing students that healthcare provider bias exists and it's dangerous and mm-hmm. it's something we should be talking about. Absolutely, because we have to be aware of it to fix it.
1: Yes, 100%. And honestly, on this platform, I feel like we talk a lot about that. We talk because I think it's really important to show both sides of it, right? Like we have room for improvement in the healthcare field, we have a lot of room for improvement. We have and if, to
2: do better. Yeah,
1: we have to do better Absolutely. across the board. Okay, so if you had any suggestions to a future L D nurse or hopeful L D nurse, what tips and tricks would you leave for them today?
0: Don't do L D unless you're super uh, passionate for it. Like I feel like a lot of people think that I don't know, it's the easy and the happy unit. It's just like whatever. Nursing, I mean, and you guys know this, nursing is hard and you'll definitely lead out, lead to burnout if you don't go for what you're passionate for. And speaking of going for what you're passionate for, if you know you want to be an L&D nurse, don't be afraid to jump into L&D first, like apply to that job. And also um, a lot of people ask me, like, well, how did you get into OB first as a new grad? Um, And I did. I started like as a new grad. I did a year residency um, in, you know, mother, baby, and then I ended up transferring to labor and delivery. And the biggest thing for me, I it depends on how bad you want it, because a lot of people don't realize that I moved cities to work in labor and delivery. Same, I, um, I moved cities to get my NICU job. Yep, yep, and so um, I hear a lot of times like, well, I wanna be a labor and delivery nurse, but I don't yep. wanna be more than 15 minutes from my home. Okay, well, right. there's probably only one hospital that's 15 minutes by your home, and so you're just limiting your options. So be open-minded and don't be afraid to, you know, reach out. And, um, yeah, I moved cities and it was definitely worth it to me.
2: Um, good resume builders to get yeah. noticed for L and I
0: de- I definitely, so when I was a, um, new grad nurse, I had no idea. I just kind of just winged my resume. I think I like Google something. I didn't even know there was so many resume services out there that could help you. And they're such decent prices. It's like 20 bucks. 30 bucks. And that is definitely worth the um, investment. So if you can invest in um, a good resume and also leaving a good impression um, at your clinicals, nurses talk and nurses remember, Mm -hmm. especially in labor and delivery. I promise you as a labor and delivery nurse, there's a lot of like nine out of 10 nurses just aren't really interested in L and D and it can be frustrating as an L and D nurse when you have a nursing student following you all day and they really don't care about L and D and they're when they don't care, they just tend to be in the, in the way, you know, and it's just like, whatever. So when you get that one nursing student who's super passionate and, you know, they make it clear and they're willing to learn, we remember. And, and if you're, you know um, how can I put it like assertive and you let your preceptor know like, Hey, I'm super interested in labor and delivery and I plan on applying here when I graduate in a couple of months do you think I could leave my resume with the hiring manager, talk to the hiring manager? We will definitely remember when your name pops up. We're like, oh my gosh, you know, so-and-so, she was so great. Um, It happens more often than you think. And that's actually, so my first job that I got, I did my clinical uh, rotation in the ICU, which I hated, by the way, hated the ICU, but I was a good nursing student. I was very involved. Um, I, you know, I, I was very involved and I ended up applying to that same hospital for a labor and delivery job. And they, after my interview, they called the ICU and they're like, hey, how is so and so? And my preceptor was the reason that I, like, I, one of the reasons that I got the job. Um, he said, oh, yeah, she's really great. She's very thorough. I think she'd be a great nurse. And that was shocking to me. I didn't realize that, I mean, who would have thought that the impression I left on ICU would? Go over to L and D, and thank goodness I didn't leave a bad impression because I hated ICU.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. a big thing we talk about: is don't burn your don't burn your bridges. Be very Absolutely. careful about how you handle things because things trail.
2: Well, I don't think people don't realize think- how small the nursing world is, too. Yes, like. And like- Oh, go ahead. respiratory therapists work in ICU and work in L and D. They might be like, oh, I remember that student from ICU and they were miserable
0: mm-hmm. or managers
2: talk or best friends. It's like, it's very small, small world. Yes. Like, and let me tell you how small it is. Um, I feel like
0: the labor and delivery world, travel nursing, it's so small. You feel like it's a big world, but it's not. I have ran into, so I worked at one assignment um, and I worked with a nurse there, and I think she was like the charge nurse there, you know, whatever. And I did work there for like six months, and then a couple years later, I worked at another assignment, and that same nurse was the director of nursing, different state, different hospital. She's the director of nursing, and the hospital did budget cuts, and she was the person who decided they cut all the other travelers. So she was like, "Oh, and I remember Sarah. She cool." Well, this is the other thing too
1: that people don't realize to keep your relationships good because the longer you become a nurse, your peers start becoming your managers and if you don't get yeah. along with them, things start, you know, escalating. It's just you have to be careful about your relationships and keeping everything copacetic.
0: Yes, that is such a good point. To when you like when you really put it from that perspective like your peers start to become your managers and the directors, educators. And et your educators, yeah. like that's, that's definitely a really good point.
2: But I don't think people realize it's all about networking too. Yeah. to get yeah. no one just hands you your dream job. You yeah. got to fight. You got to go for it. Yes,
0: yeah. you have. You've got to uh, fight
2: for it for sure.
1: Well, you are officially the L&D okay, queen. Literally, <laughs> this is probably one of my most fun. I love this episode. I am obsessed Sarah. with you amazing. I've learned so much. I, we just freaking love you you are amazing i learned I love so you much, much. You <laughs>
2: well we love you enough that we're doing a part two yes because hey. we gotta go into to travel nursing yes, yes. So, oh, part two. stay tuned for part two easy. you guys because we cannot get enough of sarah <laughs> Yes. Uh, before you leave, can you leave us
1: a podcast, a resource or something that you really like that you find value from?
0: One of my OK, so one of my favorite things to do I actually kind of changed up my morning routine, especially I feel like with the quarantine and everyone just kind of being stuck at home, like coming up with a good morning routine actually makes like a huge difference. Um, so I like to wake up and listen to things that like really inspire me and motivate me. So I've gotten super into like podcasts and audiobooks. Like I had never listened to audiobooks before, like the last six months. Um, so one of the audiobooks that I'm listening to right now is um, Twelve Week Year, and it basically is a book about creating habits and routines so that what you typically would get done in a year you get done in 12 weeks. So just leading a more productive life. And I love it. I just wake up and I listen I'm to it. Check that out. Yeah, we both yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. Get on that. I listen to it for like 15 minutes. That's one chapter. And it hypes me up for the day. Like it really talks about like what your priorities should be and what you need to do to be more productive. And I'm like, yes, I make my little coffee. and listen to the audio book. like, hell yeah, this yeah. is what I'm ready for the day. So yes, I definitely would recommend that yeah. book.
2: That's a great resource. The older I get, the more I'm getting into just mindset.
0: Yes, absolutely.
2: Okay, so where can everyone find you? Pimp yourself out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Everyone can find me at sarahgaines.com. Gaines is G-A-I-N-E-S. You can definitely learn about the travel nurse course there. There's travel nurse tips and everything like that. If you want daily travel nurse tips and you want to laugh and hear more L&D stories and travel nurse stories, definitely follow me on Instagram at sarah underscore Gaines.
2: Well, thank you, thank you so much you for coming are a on, our guest. And then, yeah, stay tuned for part two, guys. We love it. We're talking everything travel nurse because she is the expert. Okay, all right, you guys.
1: Thank you so much for listening. Holy smokes, just Sarah is
2: just insane. I love her. I want more. I mean, we have part we two have for more. you. on okay. Friday. We have so more. Tune in on Friday for part two. But I could have her back every week. I oh am my obsessed God. with her.
1: She was such a gem. We had so much fun. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Make sure you're following us over on Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can check out all of our episodes and our merch on our website. Love a day off. Love a day off. (laughs) www.selfiepodcast.com. And make sure you rate and review us, you guys. Download, subscribe. Download, subscribe, subscribe, download.
2: Great. And review. Great. But we love yeah. you. We love the feedback. Every review warms yeah. my little heart. I know.
1: I know. And make sure you guys leave your Insta handle in the review. If you guys do, we'll be sending out our swag bag with all the fun little things. We have our new little lips pin. And we just love you guys. We just want to say thank you so much for all your support. Make sure you're also following us over on our Instas. That's at NurseTori and at hey samantha
2: with two a's and And check out fun friday
1: bonus episode yes we can't wait to have you over there love you love you bye. bye